Cloudbreak, Chapter 3 Bloom Estelle was the first seeker to reach the muster room. Even the search lead had not arrived with the briefing from the tower. Estelle slid her small, slender frame into her suit, began affixing algae cartridges, and inserted fresh filters into her helmet. Six minutes after the call from the tower, she was ready to depart. She waited another three minutes for the lead to arrive. Three minutes could mean the difference between being the first to arrive at a bloom and being the fifth. She put on her flippers, fastened her helmet to her suit, and stepped into one of the pressure lock chambers. As the door clamped shut, the search lead entered the room. The lead heard the pressurized hiss of the chamber, knowing that it could only be Estelle who would leave without the tower's briefing. Estelle! Estelle, she called into her transmitter, but her voice only echoed back to her from inside the room. The lead walked to Estelle's locker and once again found the young seeker's transmitter, forgotten on the shelf. She let out an anguished cry of frustration. There would be no way to reach Estelle, no way to warn her that the great storm had surged and that the whales seemed to be heading straight for it. When Peter arrived at Orion's stable, he found his sister in tears. She loved Orion, spent her days grooming and telling him stories. Oh brother, I don't know what's happening with him. He bit me. He's never done that before. Peter looked at the blood trailing down her forearm. It'll be fine, Anna, he signed. He has bitten me more times than I can count. It usually means he knows something that I don't. Peter looked at the albatross. Orion was screeching while pushing his beak against the enclosure gate. What is it, old man? Peter signed to the bird in the old language, the language before dots and gloves and transmitters. He pulled the latch on the stable, and Orion exploded out of the enclosure. The great bird lay flat, inviting Peter to mount. But the gauges are all reading the same as they have been for months, old boy. Peter signed. We're practically starving. I don't have enough energy to be sent out on a fool's errand. At this, the great bird grabbed his seeker by the back of his now baggy jumpsuit and placed him indelicately on the saddle. Anna, Peter signed. Tell father that Orion senses something and that I have to go. He'll understand. I love you, little sister. And with that, the great albatross took a few heavy steps before plunging off the railing of the airfield. Orion and Peter fell 500 feet into the total whiteout of cloud cover before evening out and gradually ascending more than a mile above the clouds. Modern swallow seekers 
stayed close to the water's surface and relied upon altimeters and data retrieved by innumerable hovering gauges to guide them to potential bloom sites. Seekers of the old school, by contrast, flew their albatross high above the cloud cover to read the climate patterns below. Peter was bitterly cold as Orion reached their monitoring altitude. He hadn't had the time to suit up for a proper bloom expedition, but he felt invigorated and hopeful for the first time in months, and for once his gnawing hunger hardly registered. For Peter, nothing was so beautiful and soothing to his soul as these moments of intense yet peaceful concentration, scanning every horizon for a telling shift in cloud behavior. Far below, Peter could see the great field of Gabilon. He could just make out the Gabilon squadrons of swallows beginning to muster. He and Orion had already been in the air nearly an hour, and the gauges were only beginning to register what the albatross had long sensed. They seemed to be heading south toward Tarsus, Peter signed to Orion, in yet another language, the ancient seeker language of rhythmic compressions on the back of the neck of their albatross. And you're heading east. Are you getting senile, old bird? The old seeker language, unlike the precision of the modern gestures and dots, was full of playful humor and sarcasm. Orion responded to his seeker's taunt in his own fashion, with a sudden and precipitous drop in altitude. Estelle's chamber quickly pressurized and began to fill with the surrounding ocean water. Her thin seeker suit was flexible, yet capable of withstanding the overwhelming pressure of the depths. Then she was free, free within the limitless expanse of the great ocean. She knew that her lead would be upset that she had left her transmitter behind, but the transmitter only dulled her senses, made her less attuned to the subtleties of the currents and the almost imperceptible vibrations of far-off whale song. She knew that the tower would steer her along the whale's projected trajectory, but she felt in her bones that this was a very particular whale, an enormous old mother whale that Estelle often felt spoke directly to her, and this whale never traveled directly from point A to point B. Estelle floated motionless in the water for several minutes, entering into a deeply receptive, almost meditative state. Then she suddenly flipped her propulsion system on to its highest setting and screamed like a torpedo towards the northwestern perimeter of the great storm. Peter watched all of the Gabalon seekers take off from their airbase, followed by those of Tarsus, and then, in roughly 10 minute intervals, the seekers of the other city-states. The sequence was a precise measurement of the relative wealth and power of the city-states, for the thing of greatest value was not so much the information collected by the gauges, but the speed with which that information was delivered to seekers. Only the wealthiest Gabalon and Tarsus families could afford the guild's fastest services, but the guild supplied the same information content to all of its customers, 
and therefore nearly every sparrow headed more or less south. The wealthiest houses could afford to retain multiple seekers, and thus they would occasionally send one or two in a different direction from the flock, as the crowded packs of sparrows were referred to. A high-risk, high-return maneuver that occasionally resulted in lucrative and uncontested claims. As an independent seeker without a guild membership, Peter had no access to gauge data. But on too many occasions to count, he and Orion had picked up on blooms long before the data-driven flocks of sparrows. Increasingly, the wealthy houses would try to send one of their sparrows to follow Peter, and he and Orion found it great sport to lose them in the cloud cover. Peter spotted one of these strays, as they were called, make an abrupt turn. It looks like we've got a tag-along from Gabalon, old bird, Peter messaged. Shall we take him for a ride through that thunderhead? Without hesitation, Orion veered sharply north towards the towering gray column. The navigation systems of sparrows did not fare well within the electrical intensity of such cloud systems, and it was relatively easy to throw a spare off the scent with a few maneuvers. Orion had almost reached the thunderhead when he swerved so sharply to the right that for a moment Peter felt as if the harness of his saddle was going to snap. Whoa, old boy, Peter messaged. What's going on? But in that moment, Peter saw exactly what was going on. In the far distance, almost at the edge of the massive wall of wind and water that was the great storm, there was a small eddy in the vast ocean of cloud cover. But at the rate the eddy was growing, Peter knew that this would be a large cloud break, perhaps even on the scale with the legendary cloud breaks of times past. But it was uncomfortably close to the great storm. Indeed, it seemed almost an outgrowth of the storm itself. Peter felt a complex wave of exhilaration and dread sweep over him. Orion, Peter messaged. We still need to lose this stray. Do you think you can get us there through the cloud? Orion tucked his wings, and they descended at a terrifying speed into the utter whiteout of the cloud. Every so often, Peter would catch a glimpse of a tiny red gauge light whizzing by. Orion shifted his direction and altitude every few seconds while Peter calculated how much time they would need to be below cloud cover before emerging to reorient before their final descent. After what seemed an eternity, Peter messaged, Okay, old man, let's get some fresh air. The bird flapped its great wings, and within a minute they were up above the clouds once again. The sight that greeted Peter's eyes filled him with awe. What had been a small eddy in the cloud had turned into a cloud break of a size not seen in 500 years, and it was still growing. Peter realized that this was a cloud break that would not simply change the fortunes of his people, but could benefit all of the sky people as a whole and ease the conflict between the city-states. He hesitated momentarily before switching on his glove and signing the location and dimension of the bloom to the guild's control tower on Gabalon. And yet it was still essential that he and Orion arrive first at the bloom. A seeker's claim brought not just recognition, but the largest share of algae for one's family and city-state. Within minutes, Orion and Peter were directly above the periphery of the cloud break, 
farthest from the great storm. Even there, Peter could feel the storm tugging at them like the tendrils of the jellyfish that plied the great ocean. Looking down, Peter saw the brilliant slate blue of the ocean. From the epicenter of the cloud break, a small circle of green was expanding outward. Orion, I've never seen anything like this. Peter pulsed into the neck of the great albatross. Let's go claim ourselves a bloom. I don't like the way the storm is behaving though. Be sure to keep us on the periphery of the break. Peter slid a thick metal clip on his chest into a corresponding piece on Orion's harness before laying flat against the great bird and nuzzling his head into a small opening at the front of the harness. Okay, old bird, let's drop. Orion tucked in his great wings, and both bird and rider began a headfirst freefall from seven miles above the surface of the great ocean. Cloudbreak is written and performed by me, Charles Morse, and was created in collaboration with Elena Russell.